Maybe I'll say I felt like a worthless Christian. It was just... And I was trying to decide what to, what to preach on, and I had taken some comments from Sunday school back a while. And I... One of my goals this morning is not to confuse you, by the way. Um, I feel like my mind goes around, ring around the rosy, and, and <clears throat> I think my notes are fairly simple, but how much of my mind do you really want to know uh, is what I'm wrestling with. And it's not so much my mind, it's the mind of Christ, but what some of the things just how to deal with. In Ephesians, there was a verse that said about trespasses and sins, and somebody commented, they said, well, what's the difference? So I made a note of that, and I, I started studying into what sin is, a very big topic. I ended up in Romans. There was a couple phrases I thought, I knew there was at least, one phrase that repeated twice somewhere in scripture about sin and I was looking for it and I finally found it and it was in Romans and so I kind of went with that. But how to, how to be a Christian and how you deal with sin and what is sin and I don't have a really a title for my message this morning. I just have down Romans chapter 7. And part of the problem, I, I don't know why I started in Romans 7 because it's I should have started at chapter 1. The longer I went with this, I'd go back to 6 and back to 5. and So, it is what it is. But And I don't know if some of the, the weight and the burden on, I think it was Tuesday, just felt like I couldn't do anything right. Give you some, disclose some of my thoughts. And I think it was just Satan really trying to get into my life and say, you can't do anything. You're worthless. Can't do anything right as a Christian. Let's put that down just maybe doesn't explain it very good. But second one I put is just inability. You can't really do anything. Yeah, you, you might be living a Christian, but that's all. That's like that's all. It, that's where it ends. There's, there's, there's no going forward. There's no fruit. There's no life. Maybe inability. And then another one: living the Christian life my way. Yeah, it's counterproductive to what the Christian life is. We don't live the life the way we do. We live it the way God wants, but. Back to the Sunday school lesson, life under the sun. We can go through the daily routines and say this is what it is to be a Christian. And I can even stand here and preach to you and get in a groove, get in a routine, any of you, whatever God asks you to do, and just stop with that and say, I did enough, I did what God asked me to, Done. I can just give my own little credits and say from here on I can do what I want as a Christian. I'll still be a Christian. 
do you really want God to push you in life? Do you want him to push you farther on? Uh, just You just want to tell God, I, I don't want to go any farther. I just am okay where I'm at. A couple practical things with that. And it came up in the song this morning about being a testimony to your neighbors. I felt the um, guilt. And I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's hard to witness to your neighbors sometimes. And another one I happened to was another obligation and through some uh, talk and different things it came came about that I told some people about of course I had preached about love so it was um, having to do with your wife I told somebody you need to be content with your wife I think that's when Satan hits us, is when we think we know how to handle things. And Mike preached last Sunday about training children. Suddenly feel like you're not a good parent anymore. I write down here, I feel in some ways like I'm Ukraine. Russia's just invading, taking over. And physically, we can see that, or at least hear of it. So my mind, in some ways, was down the conflict of good and evil, war. What is war? Dictionary says it's a struggle or a competition between two or between opposing forces. Any idea what the opposing forces are in the spiritual life? We know what they are. There is war going on, not just physically, in the earth. And then I thought, well, what's a battle? And you try to real quick think about all the proper ways that you learned in school, but there was different battles in a war. And so at times we face a battle and it's it's part of the war. It's it's you know one you might lose or win, but the war itself is is the overall conflict. So a battle is considered to be, you know, parts of the war. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. I may not be able to necessarily give you anything new this morning, but it kind of changed my, my perspective a little bit of how sin affects us and, and how it uh, gets into our lives. I don't totally understand it, as maybe we never will. I enjoy looking at word studies and seeing what the words mean but in Romans 7 there's not very much to learn from the wording when it says law it just says law gives it as a basic 
command. When it says flesh, it says flesh, like, ouch, it hurts, it's your flesh. When it says sin, it's, you know, breaking the law. Well, we like to be more detailed. We want to know exactly what it is. And in some ways, this ain't going to tell us. But there's things, principles, there's uh, foundational things that we can learn. So let's jump into Romans chapter 7. I took it verse by verse the whole way to the end. And it may get repetitive or... I don't know if it will put you to sleep or how it might affect you, but just try to follow along if I can uh, give it to you in an understanding way. I don't think I'm going to read the whole chapter. I, I Jumping in the middle of Romans, like I said, but the title or the top here of, in my Bible says Deliverance from the Law. And so in... in the first verse is we, we're going to just start verse 1. I'll read the verse and then make just a couple comments as we go down through. It says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. And I don't think I even really got the gist of this verse because... Life and death, physical life, we know it here, but then when we die, it's like the unknown of future, like eternity. But it says here that he is, uh, as long as a man is alive, the law has authority over him. So what's the law? Just repeat it again. The law means law or means a rule. And it could mean the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, or law as you see it different coming up through in different verses. It'll talk about the law of this or the law of that. It's just, it's law. But death is needed to be free from the law. So as long as you are alive, you will have the law. And in this verse, he was talking to people who knew about the law. And that's why he, and, and Paul here getting very detailed and, and in some ways, like, how do we totally understand what he's saying? I, and it's, it's a little bit hard. I can, I can glean some things from it, but just that he's saying to the, to the Romans there that um, you know the law, and if you are alive, you are being controlled by that law. And if you die, the law is gone. You're elsewhere, and the law has no effect on you. He gives an example, verse 2. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. This is simple, and this is what he gives to help us understand. If you are married, you know that you're tied to the law. The law of marriage being that God said you are not to um, leave your spouse and go marry another. That uh, violates his commands, and so the only way to be released from that is through death. Only death can release a married person from the law of marriage. So in verse 3 he says, So then, if while her husband liveth she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, 
so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another person. So when one person experienced death in a marriage relationship, that frees the other person to be married again. Or not to, it's just, it released them from that, uh, from the, the uh, bonds or the, the law of, of being married. Verse 4 gets a little hard now. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And in our human minds, we like to take A and match it with A, and take B and match it with B, and, and one matches one, and, and just line it right up. Well, how do you grasp this about Jesus dying on the cross, freeing us from the law? It doesn't necessarily match up. But the overall picture is, is that you can get that there was a change. Something happened when Jesus came to earth and died. There was a rearranging of, of some things, and there was even some death that occurred. And because of that, there's some freedom. And so it could be taken in a number of ways. But we were bound to the law. If you want to say the law of Mo that Moses had that was given, they were bound to that. And the death of Jesus on the cross brought death to the old law. And that's where if you start matching it up, you go, well, what died? Did we die? Did the law die? And that's hard to really put it down in exact what's going on. If you read the commentaries and different resources, they start um, getting different opinions on there. But anyway, death occurred. At least for sure, Jesus died. Or, like I put in here, or by dying with Christ, we died to the law as well. And if I would have started earlier in Romans, it probably would make a little more sense, but we're in chapter 7, so we'll just keep going with that. So then we should be married to him that is raised from the dead, so that we can bring forth fruit unto God. So verse 5 says now, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Motions, the word there is, has to do with passion. So it's the passions of sin which were by the law. And this is the, I guess if you were to get anything from this, this is what you need to get. At least for me it was. And it will be coming through in the next couple of verses here. But the passions of sin were aroused by the law. This is the flesh. And this brings forth fruit unto death. Let's just go to verse 6. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. <coughs> Having died to what we were bound to, the law, now we serve in the newness of spirit. And the oldness of the letter here means the old way of written codes, specifically the Old Testament law, and I even put down, if you want to say, your old husband, or the old of who you were married to, of something that died. Continuing on in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. This is a part that was new to me. When you think of the law, it is not sin. 
But the law reveals the fact of sin. And if you can picture with me a little bit, just, and in my mind, it, it went back to the Garden of Eden. And this is strictly theories. This is my own way to try to explain to you a little bit, and then hopefully you can understand it. But it would be possible for the tree of knowledge of good and evil to be in the garden. Just make sure you don't take this home and proclaim it as truth. Eve could have ate from that tree for however long and been perfectly in favor with God. Until God says, don't eat from that tree. Now what was given? A law, a charge, a command. And as soon as that law or that charge was given, now there's an opportunity for sin. If that law, if God had not given that, or, in, you know, in that, making up that scenario, if God would have not given that, sin could not have, Eve could not have sinned. She would not have been able to break any laws because there was no law there. So when you talk about the law being sin, no, but it is how sin comes. It's the, the law reveals the fact of sin. If the law says do not covet, then it is sin to covet. If there was no law that said you, you can covet all you want, if God said that's okay, then that's okay. If the law does, if the law, hmm, got my wording a little mixed up here. If the law would not say anything about covetousness, then that would not be sin. Verse 8 uh, contains the phrase that uh, came to my mind. It says in chapter 7, verse 8, But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. Here's one definition of sin, if you could take it this way. It's taking occasion by the commandment. Now, that doesn't necessarily put it in detail like we would want. But you've got to realize that sin in the law, there's a, there's a relationship there. And when it says taking occasion, that word occasion is opportunity. The NIV reads seizing the opportunity afforded by the law or commandment. So when it says do not covet, now there is an opportunity to, for you to violate that law that says do not covet. And what goes around in my mind is, is that if you know of a law that God has given to you in your life and you are violating it, you are in sin. And I don't know how that varies between one person to the next because I don't think we're all exactly in the same mindset one to another in relation to God. And it does get us into trouble how to say if it's sin for one person, it's not for another. You can get into a lot of things. And so I want to erase all that and back up a little bit and for sure get your foot on the ground that says if God gives you a command and you violate that command, you're in sin. And so in verse 8 it says, But sin, 
taking that opportunity afforded by that commandment, taking that, hey, there's a law, and I can break it. And you all know that as soon as a law is put in place, it's everybody's intent on breaking it. They try not to break it, but as soon as that's put in front of you, suddenly your mind, it is natural human thinking. If we all tell the children, do not go out that door, or don't eat the cookie, whatever it is, naturally they're going to want to do it. I don't know why God made it that way, but that is the way it is. So as soon as the law was put into place, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, sin is taking that opportunity that, ah, I can break a law if I want. It's a choice. You could break that law. That, to me, kind of put a few things in place as we think of what sin really is. I can say it doesn't answer all the difficult scenarios of things, but that is sin. The commandment or the charge that was given, I have down here Matthew 5.19. I think that has to do about breaking one of the least of these rules or laws maybe. I'm not quite sure. I have to read it. But sin can only happen from an, an established law or commandment being broken. And apart from the law, sin is dead. This gets into kind of the whole other part of it because maybe I shouldn't even say, but as we switch from being uh, newness of life in Christ, being dead to the law, it should almost say that since there's no law there, there shouldn't be any sin either. Now, we know that's not quite the case, but it says in verse 8 at the end there, for without the law, sin was dead. Meaning that if there's no law, there's no sin. Maybe I'll just keep it at that. That sounds easy, but there's a lot to understand behind that. So in verse 9, it says, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Very hard to know exactly what time frame Paul was talking about in his life, because Paul at one time lived... And I have down here apart from the law, and I almost have to like rethink it all through. But if, if you know Paul living as a Pharisee, the life of a Pharisee could have kept Paul from thinking about following the law of Christ. And so in some ways he could have been uh, not even thinking about the laws, the commands of God. But it says when the commandment came through either his conversion or Christ giving him that command that says when the commandment came... Sin revived and I died. Now, the part about dying to it, I'm not sure if that meant that sin slew him and sin killed him or that he died to the sin. It, it just gets a little hard to know. But the ideas are there of what takes place. In verse 10, well, I back up to 9. I just wanted to read what my comments were here. These commandments forced Paul to choose one way or the other. When I think of that commandment being given of God saying, uh, Saul, you kicking against the pricks, why don't you uh, do something different? I can't get the wording quite how that verse was, but he gave him command to do it, and, and, and Saul followed through and did it. Through these commandments, sin revived, meaning Paul could have had a choice there of what to do, or Paul was overtaken by sin and his strict Pharise being a Pharisee and even just totally like dead to it all. 
Verse 10, these commandments, let me read the verse. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. These commandments of Christ, which were designed to bring forth life and salvation, instead brought forth death. And that mixes it up a whole lot because the original intent of God's laws are for our benefit, are for our good. But in that process, it gives the opportunity for sin. So you got to keep in mind that the commandments that God gives us, as Paul says here, and the commandments which was ordained to life, I didn't even study the wording there much, but he says, I found to be unto death. So he, he had it the wrong way. He, he should have followed through with the commands that God had given. And then in verse 11, we have it repeating again. It says, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. It's just, like I say, it's same as in verse 8. The law brings an awareness of sin. Going down to verse 12. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. This goes back to um, verse 7. That the law is not sin. That's the question in verse 7. Is the law sin? No. The law is holy. It came from God. And the law and commandments, um, I don't remember now if they were exactly the same Greek word or not. I know there was a couple times it switched, but in general, they, they pretty well were the same. The commandment, a law that was given. And the commandment here, it says, is holy and just and good. Coming from God. Its intentions are well. Verse 13, was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Our Sunday school teacher said about, explain these verses to me. And that's what happens sometimes in here. It's, it's, um, it's easy for me to just look at it and go, okay, I'm not sure if I know that. I'll just skip over it and nobody will ever know. I'll just admit to you that I don't have much for verse 13. Does a holy law cause death? No. This, and I have a quote here from one of the uh, commentaries. The sinfulness of sin is revealed in its violation or violations of God's law. That's where the sinfulness of sin comes from. In that whole thing of violating God's law. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Brings forth, or brings in the spiritual side of things. You have the carnal, or the flesh. And we see that the spirit and the flesh oppose each other. Verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I... It's a complicated... Until you get what he's saying here. And here is the war that lies within us. Paul's trying, okay, this first phrase, just if you break it down, just get this first phrase right. Verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. Paul is simply saying, I don't understand myself. He's like, I can't figure this out, why I am the way I am. And then he goes to the next phrase and says, For what I would... That do I not, but what I hate, that do I. So it's, it's 
It's just does the opposite. If you don't want to do it, then you do. And if you do want to do it, then you don't. So that's a little bit where 15 is. Paul's trying to understand these things. And uh, what I wrote down here in the end, does that sound familiar to any of you? It does. And it, it, it's just so, so uh, just that thing of, well, I can do this. It never happens. Or I refuse, I won't do this again. Next thing you know, it did. Paul's just relating to us that that is the way it is for him. Verse 16. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Paul says that if I do what I don't want to, he's saying that the law is a good thing. Because that keeps him on track. Then he knows that it's like he violated it. And he sees it as almost a a good way of uh, keeping him in line with what God wants. And it points out sin in our lives as well. These commandments that are given. And the idea that the law itself has our best interest in mind. It's for our good. And I think the laws in general are good for us even in a, in a physical way of, um, you know, health and strength and things. The laws are good. Um, many laws, but I think that can, that can enter in. Then verse 17. Now then is it, It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now this gets a little hard too, because what causes the sin in a person? Where does it come from? And and Paul's saying here in 17, As a new creation, old things are passed away. This part of us does not want to sin. But we will always have the sin nature in us. And so Paul, to trying to take what he's saying here, he says, Now then it is no more I. I take that as his new life in Christ. That part of him isn't sinning. That's not what's causing the problem. He's saying, it's the sin that dwelleth in me. And as near as I know, if I'm able to interpret it correctly, he's referring to the sin nature that's dwelling in him. And that helps us understand a little bit more that says, I can say to you that I don't want to sin. But the sin nature in me is there, and that causes me to sin. Don't take it that... Yeah, I shouldn't even really get confused, but... um, You read that at face value, it gets a little hard, because it says, now then it's no more I, I'm not sinning. You, can, you could weasel your way out of a lot of things, I believe. That's not the case. Paul is just trying to relate how it is for him. Verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. It does help understand verse 17 through this. I didn't put much down, but basically, nothing good comes from that sin nature that's in us. And the desire to do good is in us. But to do it is harder yet. That's some of this conflict that we're referring to. Verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. He just brings out again a little bit of that conflict like we had 
couple verses earlier. The clashing of the wants of the spirit and the wants of the flesh. These desires. These, uh, the will is a desire. Go on to verse 20. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Just take that same phrase, but sin that dwelleth in me, is the same phrase in the end of verse 17 that says, but sin that dwelleth in me. So it's a repeat of this sin nature that I think is okay to interpret what I, what I study, that, that that's in us. Verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. He kind of sets all this up to say that anytime you're going to do something good, you're going to be counteracted with something evil. They're both are, they both are there. And in verse uh, 21, law is, could be called a principle. Like this, this truth or this principle is here. When I, want, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Delight means to rejoice or to have pleasure in. Inner man, some other references we know of when the old man, the new man, it, it, it gives that exact phrase in 2 Corinthians 4.16, Ephesians 3.16. I'm not going to turn to him, but it uses that ex- exact phrase of inner man. And I'm not sure if I know exactly what the inner man is, but it gives the idea that we can kind of grasp of a changed person. The, the heart's been changed. It's a new person. It says, for I delight in the law of God after the inner man. And in verse 22, I wanted, I thought maybe I noted about after, and in my Bible it says, according to the inner man. So that gives the idea that the inner man is going to want to delight in the law of God. Verse 23 is sort of the verse that brings out this war. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And I simply have just just about warring, and it's to uh, one uh, resource said to carry on a campaign against. If you think of Russia and Ukraine, Russia is just bringing this whole campaign. They have their agenda, what they want to do, and they're taking it out. They're they're going through with it and they're doing it and it causes war and you see these things warring in our uh, spiritual and the physical in, in, inside of us he says I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind bringing me into captivity the law of sin which is in my members sin brings forth death the captivity there is the same as 2 Corinthians 10.5 where it says bringing into captivity every thought the obedience of Christ that's it uses it in the opposite way. So when you bring your thoughts all captive, that's holding them in before God and saying this is good or it isn't good. You're, you're monitoring it. This here is uh, that same deal of, of holding him, but instead it says it's about being captive to the law of sin. And so it, it's the same meaning of the word, just used in uh, like a positive way or a negative way. In verse 24, one that we know quite a bit. But as you go down through all these verses, you get to a place where Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me, or who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And I think Paul was 
struggling with, am I going to have to live with this the rest of my life? That these two things are going to be conflicting? And the answer is yes. You're going to deal with this the rest of your life. And Paul is just saying, you know, this wretched man, this distressed or miserable person, do we, do we really have to follow through with this? possibility of sinning are always going to be there. You will never be removed from it. It's going to be this way the rest of your life. He says in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He doesn't really say what for. He just says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not too hard to figure out that that is the redemptive work, the redemptive work that Christ did on Calvary. That gives us the power and ability to overcome sin in our lives. Conclusions. About time to get to the end here. I hope uh, you were able to think through a couple things. In the last part of this verse, it says, So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. That puts it very basic and very easy. That is where each of us are at. This human body that you have has a law of God in it as a Christian, and yet it contains a law of sin. And in the flesh, you're going to serve this law of sin, and in your mind, you're going to serve the law of God, and these are going to clash. Going to be a, there's going to be a war. So hopefully this helps us understand, for one thing, the law and sin. Another thing is to help us see the war that we're in. And another note is to be thankful for what God has delivered us from. And just as in the end here, I found in uh, Harold S. Martin has a bunch of books and he has one on Romans, so I was looking through it and it gave an interesting story since we've been quite just looking at verses and verses and verses. I, I really was kind of somewhat humored by it, but how true and how accurate it was of an article that was written, I guess, in a magazine back a while. It says World Magazine. Um, that puts all this kind of in perspective, this battle, this, this thing that rages. So... And when I saw this, it, it, I cringed because it talks about a woman. And then I realized, I said, well, maybe that's good because some of the men left from church and there would probably be most of the women here, so maybe they do need to hear it. Women do not take this if, uh, personal. It's just using the, this situation just happens to be this way. And it was a senior writer in World Magazine described the ordinary thoughts of a Christian woman during a 17-minute trip driving home from shopping at a grocery store. And it says at the end, these words from Andre, I'm not sure, S-E-U, it it's, must be a foreign name of some, but I think a lady wrote it, so that's how it, where it came from. Here you go. Thoughts of a Christian woman during a 17-minute trip driving home from shopping at a grocery store. She spots a baby shower invitation on the dashboard and schemes a way to be out of town on that weekend. She sizes up a woman standing at the bus stop and judges her. 
She stews over a comment her brother made behind her back and crafts a letter telling him off and sounding righteous in the process. See, she magnificently lets a car merge into traffic and then is ticked off when she doesn't even get a nod of thanks from the driver. She resolves to eat less chocolate starting today. Well, maybe tomorrow. Somebody rides up the shoulder on the road and budges in to the head of the traffic jam and she hates the driver with a perfect hatred. She glares at a driver who runs a red light in front of her, forgetting that she did the same thing some time ago. She wonders how her parents will divvy up the inheritance and how long she has to wait. She rehearses two good reasons why her sister and not she should take care of the, of the folks when they're too old to care for them for themselves. Her heart smiles, smites, sorry. Her heart smites her for this, so she determines to try harder to live righteously from now on. Who knows, God may reward her in some amazing way. Just then she pulls into her driveway. Total driving time, 17 minutes. Imagine believing that we don't need a Savior. That's the end of the article. I thought it described the conflict that's in a lot of us. And men, I'm sure we have equal to or more of the same. I'll just read verses 24 and 25 in conclusion. It says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. As we daily face the battles of the spiritual war that we are in, may we ask God for his power to work in our lives for his honor and glory. Shall we kneel for prayer?